if you're if you're new to the preaching scene, having uh, Jabari McLennan open up for you is not a bad way to start. So uh, I feel like he set me up well for uh, plenty of amens. Yeah, thank you guys. So anyway. Um, Good morning. If, if uh, I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Trenton Hoggard, one of the elders here, one of the uh, co-leaders of a GC as well. And so, anyway, we're glad to, glad to have you. And so, anyway, uh, today, as we've kind of referenced, we're, we're in the series of David and Goliath, and, uh, or in the series of the life of David, and uh, I'm on David and Goliath. And so, uh, some of you may know uh, from maybe past stories about me, that you've heard that I'm a pretty passionate fan when it comes to the teams that I really care about. Uh, granted, my methods of cheering might be a little non-traditional uh, by some standards, but that's probably better left for a whole other series on a uh, on a different day. But what you might not realize is that uh, the origin of my cheering or uh, fandom, you might say, comes from the fact that I ha- I've had to cope with being on the side of the underdog. Um, most of my life. So, like in high school, uh, in the middle of our career, we uh, we went up to a, uh, a higher conference, and so we were used to kind of like, you know, whooping up on everybody in the little uh, private school league that we were in, and then we moved up to actually play, you know, big schools like Wiener and, and things like that. Uh, anyway, n- needless to say, uh, we got whooped pretty much nonstop, and so just to cope with the fact that I'm stuck at these games, uh, I would dress up as the mascot and uh, lead our student section is in the most spirited cheers that you could possibly imagine for a losing team. Uh, during my time as a student at Arkansas State, I'm sure Casey or Jabari will correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure we did not have one winning football season uh, that whole time. Now, you know, you're going to bowl games, cool stuff like that, but no, I'm just stuck there in the freezing cold and in the rain cheering for these players. Jabari, good job, but I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. So anyway, uh, anyway, even in professional sports, uh, I didn't, I, I don't pick teams very well. Uh, a few years ago, some buddies of mine uh, talked me into doing a fantasy football league, and I literally knew nothing about the NFL. And so that's pretty key to the whole concept of playing fantasy uh, football. So I uh, decided if I'm going to start paying attention to this league, I might as well pick a team to pull for. At the time, Lacey, my wife, and I were uh, having to drive up to uh, Chicago about four times a year, and so I thought, hey, you know, the Bears, I'll, I'll, I'll choose them. Uh, I've seen the SNL skits. They're probably a pretty good team. Uh, but if you don't know much about the Bears, just rest assured I kept my perfect record of choosing. Yeah, I'm getting some <laughs> really strong head nods over there. Uh, I kept my perfect record of choosing teams that aren't predominantly known for winning. So... Anyway, uh, that said, in those years of cheering for the underdog, uh, there are those times of the big upset win. You know, it's like the one thing that you have uh, when you're a guy like me cheering for these teams. And so, I mean, it's, it's the most exciting thing that could happen. I mean, what, like the highlight of college was when, uh, uh, you know, we made that big uh, touchdown catch in the end zone at Memphis, you know, won the game. It was mind-blowing. Um, and so, you know, That's what everyone is looking for, when the little guy beats the big guy and pulls off the impossible. And so, uh, in fact, you'll often hear a lot of sports commentators, when they're talking about it, go back and refer to it as a real David and Goliath story. And so, uh, 
Most of us have heard this story of little David against the, the giant Goliath battling it out and, and the little guy winning. Um, and so it's tempting for us to hear that story and think that that's predominantly what the story is about, that it's, it's predominantly an underdog story uh, and we can come out all feeling better about ourselves. Um, but anyway, I, I, I hope to kind of point out that that's not quite exactly the goal of this story in Scripture. Um, and so, if you'll open with me to 1 Samuel 17, um, feel free to stand up as we start in verse 19. Should be up on the screen. So, in verse 19, it says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to battle to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge with the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, taunting them. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with the great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? So with that, David uh, volunteers and gets thrown into the battle. And So jump down real quick to verse 41. This is what we see. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let me pray real quick. Lord, we thank you that um, you fight for us even when we cower on the sidelines, um, when we see what we face in our day-to-day life and uh, think that there's no way that we can move forward um, I thank you also that you fight for us when we do actually step out in faith, when we take your word and believe it, and uh, we aren't blinded by our own strength or lack thereof, but um, we know that, that you are the one uh, fighting for us. Pray that uh, your word will uh, reach into our hearts and that your spirit will speak louder than our own thoughts and our own doubts. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So it's likely that uh, you know this story, you've heard this story uh, probably many times in Sunday school or, I don't know, I'm sure there's a Christian movie out about it somewhere. But uh, David walks in this battlefield. The only thing he has is a sling, a few rocks, and a shepherd's staff uh, to go fight this Goliath with his full armor. Uh, he's got a shield bearer. He's got the sword, a javelin. But when, this, when the battle's over, Goliath is defeated, and the Philistines, the army, is running for their lives, and the army of Israel, who was previously afraid to advance out of their camp, is in hot pursuit to finish them off. There are a couple things to remember when we study this story that are pretty easy to forget. Uh, the first is it, it's the temptation to think that this story is pr- primarily about us and all that we can accomplish on our own. Uh, I do think this story does have a lot to say about living a life out in faith and uh, what, what that looks like, but I think this story first assures us that Uh, we can live life boldly because we've been radically rescued from an enemy that we have no shot against. Um, My first point is we identify more with the paralyzed army needing the rescue of an unlikely champion. So when David shows up to camp uh, to bring his brother some gifts, uh, he, he seems shocked that the people of God were just paralyzed with fear. For 40 days, this unbeatable enemy has come up, he's uh, taunted them, and daring them to come out and fight. The deal was, Goliath comes up and says, you beat me, the whole army surrenders, uh, and vice versa. And so David's gut reaction when he hears this challenge is to volunteer. He stood up in the place of all the other warriors uh, who were facing Goliath and seeing that as certain death. He took it on. When the Lord gives David the victory over this giant, instantly you see the armies of Israel change from uh, cowards to leaving their camp as victors. And so, uh, and then not only are they victors, but then you see them finally advancing out of their camp and they're running after an enemy to claim the spoils of war. So, uh, What's awesome, as we'll get into the series, right now uh, we can see David as this big hero. Uh, but we will see that he's certainly not had his faults. He's not a perfect person. But at least in this story, we see David most clearly pointing to our rescue that we desperately need in Jesus. This comes generations later. We most clearly actually relate to this helpless army. The ones that we just read are cowering on the sidelines, afraid to, to face this, this enemy knowing that we'll be defeated. Sin and death is that enemy that, uh, that we face. There's nothing that we can do to win against it. Uh, there's plenty of plays, ways that we try to run from, uh, run from these things. We uh, pretend like they don't exist or maybe explain them away, justify them. But uh, guilt and shame still end up leaving us paralyzed. We get stuck in the same patterns of behavior that... Um, uh, that we've been in for years. I know that plays a big part of my story personally. It seems like it doesn't matter what technique or strategy or self-help book that, that we try to pick up um, to battle sin. Sin seems to always have the upper hand. So the main point of this whole story is to point to Jesus. 
He is the warrior that, God, that saw God's people paralyzed in fear, and he says, I'm going to make them victors. He says, that's who I want to build my kingdom out of. And so the main thing that I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus has won for you. While we're trapped in our sins, uh, Jesus took that fight. He took it all the way to the cross, and he died for you. When he raised from the dead, he declares his victory over sin and death, and he gives that victory to his people, to us. So if you feel lost in a pattern of sin or like you're facing something that's going to crush you, whatever that might be, I pray that you look to Jesus to fight for you, just as David did. (laughs) Um, My second point is that uh, we need to hear the voice of Jesus' victory um, more than we hear the voices of cynicism. We have to keep reminding ourselves the basic truths of this gospel. um, Because our natural mode is actually to to go back to cynicism, to to try to justify uh, standing still. So I don't know about you, I don't walk through my day just you know, prancing around, feeling like a victor, like I'm ready to take on the world most of the time. Um, but what I do love about David, I can look up to him and just say, he quickly points to the fact that God is wanting to win this battle. David is surprised that no one else actually sees it this way. Uh, in fact, one of the first critics that he encounters is uh, his brother Eliab. If you look in verse 28, uh, we read Eliab's perspective of his brother's uh, volunteering He says, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see battle. Uh, In his book, A Praying Life, uh, just about these little uh, daily acts of faith that we can all take, uh, Paul Miller has a helpful commentary on this scene. Uh, I'm going to read it. It's a little bit long. But uh, he says, Eliab mistakenly believes he sees right through his brother's motivations. He thinks that David, bored with the sheep, is there for adventure, egging the soldiers on so he can see battle. Eliab's perceptions of David's motivations is likely his own motivation. He reads his own issues into David, cynically accusing his little brother of having cynical motives. Eliab lacks purity of heart, so he presumes David lacks it as well. Eliab also sees himself incorrectly. He has a false, elevated view of himself. He mocks David's lowly job as a shepherd when he says, With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Eliab, the mighty warrior, uh, mocks his little brother's sheep tending, while the real Eliab is cowering in his tent with the rest of the Israelites. If you remember from last week, uh, this is the brother that when Samuel, who's tasked to go anoint the next king of uh, of Israel by God, uh, he takes one look at Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and he thinks to himself, surely this is going to be the next king. He was tall in stature, uh, he was a warrior, he was the first son. There were several reasons that he would be a shoe-in to, uh, to be the next king. But God's answer to Samuel in that moment is that the Lord sees not as man sees. God was looking for a king whose victories would be from the Lord, not their own personal attributes or their skills and their own strength. The next critic that we see is King Saul himself, the king of the army. Uh, He takes one look at David and says, there is no way that this kid is going to fight this uh, Goliath. David was just a youth, and 
Goliath was a man of war who had been fighting battles his entire life. So uh, when he hears that, David assures Saul. He says he'd had to fight the occasional lion or bear, which is not bad, uh, that was coming after his flock. In verse 37, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David saw no difference. The difference in David's perspective and that of his brothers and of the king is that he wasn't looking at himself. David had no questions about why he wasn't mauled by a lion or a bear out in the wilderness. He didn't think it had anything to do with his strength. He knew it was the grace of God working through him in faith. See, what's crazy about this story is we actually see two people defying God here. Obviously, you have Goliath, however tall he was, uh, with all his armor. He's openly defying God with his words and with his taunts. Uh, But what's worse is we actually see Israel's own army. These are the people of God that are defying God with their unbelief, hiding in their tents. Like Eliab and Saul, all all they see are themselves and their own strength against the giant. David is the only one whose hope is actually in the right place here. He's confident that this is not his fight to win, but it's one that God actually wants to win for him. If we take an honest look at our community, I'd argue that one of the most paralyzing factors that uh, we experience as the people of God are actually voices inside of our own body of believers, if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes it feels like Christians are the first ones to actually burst your bubble when it comes to sharing your dreams and faith. Uh, it's like we've been trained by our culture not to expect anything from God, especially not anything big. So I just want to encourage you, sat through enough meetings as an elder team to know that we love to hear about the dreams that you guys have and that you expect to see God do in faith. Um, you know, we love to see the way that God is, is giving you faith to live out those things. And we also understand that it's not easy to be vulnerable and take those steps. And so, uh, anyway, we're for you. And so my encouragement is to remember that Jesus did. He claimed the ultimate victory. And so because Jesus has conquered death for us, he's conquered sin for us, we really do not have much to lose in the big scheme of things. I know that sounds crazy, but I believe it's true. I'm convinced that God loves to show off what he can do for his people. And I want this to be a church. We want this to be a church of people that is fighting to be on the front row of that show. So let's go to uh, point three. Is um, We can triumphantly follow Christ in his victory. In verse 50, uh, we read... The results of this battle. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Skip down. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah, who were hiding originally, rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So, Put, your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite warrior just for a second. You're a warrior. You've seen your fair share of battles that you've won. Uh, but finally, you've come up against an enemy that uh, has you dead in your tracks. For 40 days, you've sat there, been terrified, as this giant has come out and taunted you and challenged you to battle. 
everyone thinks that challenging him would be a certain death sentence. And so obviously, you don't want to volunteer to die. Uh, but on top of that, whoever, def- whoever wins this battle or loses this battle, their whole army is surrendered. They, they lose as well. And so uh, you've got a lot on your plate as the representative of army. So uh, now, all of a sudden, this young kid uh, who's described as ruddy and handsome I don't know why the fact that he's handsome seems to make it worse. Uh, I, I don't really want a handsome guy fighting for me in this situation. Someone nasty and mean, I don't know. But uh, Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't fill me with confidence here. But whatever. Uh, this kid comes out of the pasture. He's running an errand for his dad. And he hears the challenge, and he volunteers to fight as a representative for the whole army. Great. <laughs> You're probably not overflowing with confidence in, the, in this moment. You're watching every step with pins and needles as this kid walks up to meet the giant. But then all of a sudden, as you're watching, Goliath is on the ground, and your enemies are running for the hills. And so you instantly go from feeling hopeless to victorious, and you're running full speed knowing that nothing can stop you now. Victory's been been given. So why don't we feel this way in daily life? I don't know. I'm not sure because our victory has been secured in Jesus, it's true. Uh, we have freedom to run forward after those things in faith. I'm convinced of it. I think part of it, though, has to do with the fact that uh, we're not used to using our faith muscles a whole lot in daily life. I know that uh, I don't feel like I have to very much, if I'm being honest. Uh, I feel pretty well equipped to handle the majority of my day on my own strength. So that leads me to another mistake that we tend to make when we're hearing this story, and that's to assume that it only applies to giant-sized problems in our life. See, David didn't start testing his faith with Goliath. Uh, He knew that God would deliver him because he had watched God do it over and over again in the past. Early in the story, we see David actually made fun of uh, for his seemingly irrelevant job as a shepherd. Um. But it was in knowing that the Lord was with him in the little things like tending sheep that David got to practice his faith out in the the daily things. So when a bear or lion uh, came and snatched one of his herd, he knew that the Lord had delivered him plenty of times before. And so he got up, ran after it, and saved a sheep. Uh, That's why it's so odd for him when he shows up to the camp and he sees this entire army of the Lord paralyzed in fear. Uh, For him, it was a habit in his young life to just live out his faith and practice it. So this battle was no exception. For David, this fight wasn't his to win or even the army of Israel's. It was the Lord's fight. Listen to how he declares victory for the Lord uh, before the battle even starts. He says to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head and will give the bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This was about the glory of God. He wanted God to show that uh, the God of Israel is the living God, 
And he actually takes pleasure in rescuing his people. This is where this good story, uh, great for Veggie Tales episodes and things like that, that's where this becomes gospel good news for you and I today. Uh, God continues to show who he loves to rescue his, his people over and over again in the Old Testament. And finally, generations later, you see Jesus, the unlikely champion, showing up to rescue us once and for all. That means that we can uh, join in with his victory over death, and we can go into our families, we can go into our, our workplaces, our schools, our cities, and out into the world, and with confidence know that this is the Lord's fight. He's got us covered. The victory is guaranteed. So with all that said, uh, there, there's a couple thoughts of application uh, that I think apply for us here. First, it's, uh, if you find yourself feeling like it's up to you to fight sin and death or, or this overwhelming sense of guilt, uh, if you feel like it's up to you to fight those things on your own, uh, I pray that you have eyes to see yourself clearly. If you feel trapped in the fear of, of those things, um, don't be like David's older brother. <laughs> don't make the mistake that he did. Uh, but be honest with yourself, realizing that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. But this isn't a hopeless scenario. Jesus sees you, and he knows you exactly who you are. He knows your weaknesses, and he has fought the fight for you. Uh, where we're weak to clean ourselves up from sin or uh, fix ourselves up and live a perfect life. He took it to the cross. Be honest with him and have faith that it actually pleases him to rescue you. It pleases him to rescue you. Um, And he delights to give you victory over sin and death. Last thought is, uh, I think we ought to just start working in our faith muscles a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to go wrestle the tallest guy in Cracker Barrel after the service or anything. Uh, just ask God to show you the little, pl- the little places that he wants you to just have faith. Uh, for some of you, that could mean being vulnerable enough to invite someone into your home for a meal or ask them to join you to ch- uh, w- at church. Maybe for others, that means taking the big step of faith to actually get involved in a gospel community this fall. Uh, maybe it just means taking a coworker out to lunch and starting a new friendship. I don't know. Whatever, whatever that is for you, um, I'm convinced that you know the things that God's asking you to trust him in. So one of my favorite examples is uh, uh, Holly Huckabee. We've talked about Fellowship Sports Academy. Lord put this on her heart uh, a few years ago. She shared it with Kelly Church. And instead of being cynical and brushing it off to the side, um, I mean, like, yeah, that's a good idea, and not falling through. They actually leaned in and just asked God, what does he want to do for his name? Uh, And from that, just from leaning in a little bit and asking God what's next, uh, year after year, parents and kids have got to hear the gospel that might not be hearing it otherwise. And plus, it's been a (laughs) real fun activity for our church to, to all be involved in. So I'm not asking you to go start some new ministry or, uh, uh, anything like that. I, I just want you to have an honest conversation with God, uh, about where to take the next step of faith today and, um, throughout this next week. So my challenge to you is to have faith that the Lord who delivered you from sin and death, he'll be with you in these little things as well. So let's pray.
God, we trust you and we thank you that you are fighting for us. We thank you that uh, you don't just battle giants for us, although we need you to. Um, We need you to fight the little things um, in our days as well. I pray that we will see ourselves as uh, David did, and that's just as tools in the hands of God. We are uh, victorious warriors in the army of God that you have claimed victory for. So God, I just pray that um, as this church, as we do have big dreams for what we can accomplish in the city and out in the world, that you will embolden us and give give us faith. Uh, As individuals, raising families, going to work, you will encourage us knowing that even you are doing those things through us and, and have won those battles. So... It's in that we pray and trust you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Right now, uh, we're going to have a time of communion. Um, As we come up and do that, I I want us to see that uh, the bread as the flesh. That's what it is. That's the whole concept of this. And that's what that flesh is, is our attempts to fight these battles on our own. Uh, We fight time after time in our own strength, uh, punching at the ear, and it typically falls flat. And so what this meal means, what this communion means, is that Jesus saw us. He knew we were actually trembling in our tents, afraid for our lives, and he broke his body for us. He lived that perfect flesh out for us. He accomplished, he won all the battles that we could not. And so when you dip it into the blood, into the the juice. This is his sacrificing of his perfect life, his perfect fighting for all of our failed attempts. So if you're struggling right now with um, feeling unable or uh, like you are too weak, when you take this meal, I pray that uh, that'll be your profession of faith. But Jesus' blood was good enough, that Jesus' body, his victory was good enough for you. So, anyway, a couple words of practical advice. The front half can use these front two tables. Uh, Back half can use the back two tables. You don't have to be a member of this church, but we do ask that uh, you do profess your faith with Jesus uh, in this meal. So, Jesus, amen.